another week, my friends. Tell me, what is the difference with the you that you are this week from the you that you were last week? Are you wiser? More foolhardy? Are you more joyful? Less so? I'll tell you what the difference within me is. It's the difference that I suspect you may have noticed if you've been listening to me over the past year or so. I cannot hide it, so perhaps I must come to terms with it. I go through a period of calm, of tranquility, of relative happiness, I suppose. Comfort. Calm, I said, and calm is what I meant. But then, I crave it. I feel the craving coming on, and there's nothing I can do but give in to it. Chaos. I crave chaos. Forgive me, my friends, but when the calm sits in too long, that calm turns into melancholy, and that melancholy turns into anxiety, and that anxiety festers and grows into an active kind of dissatisfaction. And if I cannot have the thing that will make me not only calm but extremely joyful and victorious, then I rage against everything and throw away everything and seek out something new. Because the new, while not perfect and satisfying in the way that I want it to be, holds the potential for greatness. All this is to say, I feel chaos rumbling deep within me sometimes, waiting to get out. And because I love all things good and gentle, I hate this about myself. This is a side to myself that I do not love, but it is there. We create things out of misery, don't we? Is that why I'm here? Never mind that. I have been happy here in this town. I have been satisfied in my little home on the cliff. I have been satisfied being known only by a small group of townsfolk who treat me well and with respect. I have been satisfied with the man in the sea who sometimes plays his flute for me by the ocean at midnight. But I feel that craving bubbling up inside me. That craving for chaos. I am resisting it. I am pushing it down deep where it cannot hurt anyone, including me. I am resisting it by telling myself that I am enough as I am. I am enough. I have enough. Ah, that reminds me. Greed is a fascinating thing when it goes hand in hand with a longing for chaos and a hatred towards peace and order. I have a story of a person with just such a battle waging within himself. He was a criminal who loved what he did. Mainly a thief, he stole from anyone and everyone that he could in order to eke out a living in the world he lived in. 
He lived in a large city, a city that was cold and careless towards anyone who could not afford it. And so he made his way through the world by taking what he needed by any means necessary. Now the mirthless satisfaction he felt when he stole from others was not nearly as repulsive as the fact that he would actively seek to cause pain whenever he could. If he saw someone with something he wanted, he wanted to hurt them. He was not interested in stealing discreetly. He was interested in catching them alone and taking out his rage and his want and his own hurt on them, and then taking the money, the things, whatever it was he wanted so badly. This is why he called himself worse than a thief, upon introduction after all. Now, there are some thieves who are good at heart, and who are merely desperate. I am not painting the picture of someone who is good and desperate. He would not want me to do so. He would want me to tell the truth about him. I know also that he was not evil, though he may not admit that. Of course you know that I'm not interested in the concept of evil, because it's far too simple. If anything was evil, it was the pain that brought him to this place. He knew that pain and hatred had made him into a rotten thing, a thing with an empty heart and a belly full of cruelty, because he hated this about himself, too. He knew what he was, and the more cruel he was to others, the more cruel he was to himself. He was not deluded. He knew the difference between right and wrong. Can you imagine, knowing that you are a monster through and through? I have known that feeling. I'm feeling it creep back in now. But this is about him. One night, he had spent the evening at a tavern just outside of the city, in an area he wasn't terribly familiar with. He had been banned from most of the other places he frequented further downtown, and with no plans to stop his acts of malice, he had to be careful not to become a regular anywhere. He drank, pickpocketed, and caused a few fights while he was there, but waited there until closing time, until the streets were empty and the night was his. Exiting the bar, he looked down the cobblestone street, seeing buildings and homes that were locked up for the night, dark and quiet. A line of street lamps lit up both sides of the road, and they glowed warmly and sweetly. For a moment, he admired that warmth and sweetness. But then he forced himself to hate it. He did not allow himself moments to admire warm and sweet things. He turned his eyes instead to the shadows in the alleys, the shadows between the buildings and homes, and the shadows at the end of the street. Surely the night was over. Surely there was someone else he could take from this night. As if his wish were instantly granted, he saw a man standing at the end of the street. He was facing away from the thief, wearing an elegant suit with a formal cape, white gloves, 
a top hat. A glimmer of a gold pocket watch that was being put back into a waistcoat. As tall as him, and perhaps not as big, this would be easy. The thief smiled to himself as he casually began to walk toward the man, slowly and calmly, not wanting to scare him off. He walked in the shadows, stalking him like a tiger. The man began to walk down the street. The thief followed, keeping a distance for now. The lamps became fewer as they walked, and dimmer too, it seemed. This left more shadow for our thief to walk in. He felt good in the shadows. His confidence grew as he went forth. The thief could hear the man's shining, expensive shoes against the cobblestone. His own feet, in his worn shoes of cloth and leather, didn't make a sound. Which is why it was so surprising when, after perhaps five or ten minutes of this leisurely chase, the gentleman turned around and looked directly at the thief. He stopped, and he faced him. Now the thief was still cloaked in shadow, but he was still surprised. At first he thought that perhaps the man was simply stopping for a rest, but after what felt like an eternity of the rich man staring, his own face shadowed by his top hat, the thief was certain somehow that he was looking right at him. He felt it. And so, he began to walk towards the man now more quickly and more confidently, no longer caring for hiding in the shadows. The chase was on. Yet the gentleman didn't run or call for help as most of them did. He simply turned around and kept walking at the same pace he had before. The thief was both intrigued and infuriated. As he strode towards the man, he saw something shimmering and falling to the ground from the gentleman's gloved hand. It was a coin. When he caught up to it, he saw that it was a somewhat generous offering, in fact. He collected it and put it in his pocket. The man was still in view, walking towards the growing darkness as the street grew even more dark the street lamps no longer quite so warm and sweet as before. The thief almost ached to see that glow again, but pushed that ache away. He kept following the gentleman. He must have more, after all. And he did, as soon a piece of paper fell from the man's hand to the ground. It was a very generous offering this time. The thief picked it up and pocketed it, and it only spurred him on faster, eager to see what else the man was hiding. Next came that golden pocket watch clanking against the stones. The thief ran up and grabbed it hungrily. Now, most thieves would be satisfied at this point, finding more than they might have ever hoped for on a night like this in a place as quiet as this. But this thief 
felt that growing anger and hate inside of his chest. This man had so much he was throwing it away. He must have even more. And the thief wanted it. The man ahead of him peeled his fine white gloves from his hands and casually dropped them. The thief collected them, amazed by their softness and the potential price he could get for them. He put them on his own hands and kept following. The gentleman removed his top hat and let it fall to the ground, too. The thief collected it and felt the soft fur of it and placed it on his head. Next, the man removed his cape. The thief took this, too, and put it on. So taken by all these beautiful, expensive things, and so wrapped up in his own hatred of them, the man who discarded them, and his own self who wanted them so badly, the thief didn't realize that the street lamps were all off now. The buildings on either side of the street were no longer expensive and lovely. They were empty, broken, and black. This was a part of the city no one went to, where no one lived anymore. The thief didn't even know where he was. And the gentleman stood a few feet in front of him, facing him. His white shirt sleeves were visible in the moonlight, and his bright yellow eyes were too, somehow. They shone like a cat's. Long white hair was tied back neatly and fell down his back, startling, given that he appeared quite young. And when he stepped a little closer, the thief could see that his face was as bloodless as a corpse, and it had a ghastly smile on it. A smile that revealed two canine teeth that were so long they hung out and over his bottom lip where two little bloody scars sat. A result of that terrifying smile and proof that he smiled often, this gentleman. The gentleman walked up to the thief and didn't stop until he was one foot away from him. The thief raised an arm to strike, but the gentleman caught it in a vice-like grip, and it made him smile even more broadly. The more broadly he smiled, the more his scars bled. At this point, the thief realized he had picked one victim too many. In a low rumbling, gleeful voice, the gentleman said two words. My turn. And he sprang at the thief, easily pinning him to the ground, and plunged those needle-like fangs into his throat. And the gentleman took that which he deemed most precious from our thief. We could call it life, Vitality, or something elegant like that, but it was blood. The gentleman took, and he took, and he took, until there was nothing left to take. He left him there, breathing heavily, his eyes glassy, 
wearing the top hat, gloves, pocket watch, cape, pockets full of money. And he seemed quite the victim indeed, if anyone were to stumble upon him here. But they wouldn't. And he would wake up again with a need and hate for something he wanted, something he hungered for. Something different now. I told you that he wasn't evil. I suppose it's for you to decide, really. All I know is that, when I met him and asked him to tell me this story, he told it to me in complete honesty. He painted himself as the villain. He had no more resentment in him towards other people, least of all the gentlemen at the end of the road. Surprisingly pleasant company, the thief added, and started to smile, but decided against it, as the two almost healed scars below his lips stung him too badly. I will wait here a little longer, my friends, because I do not know what else I can do. Right now, I do not want to leave my new home. I do not want to leave my friend in the sea. I do not want to leave this town where no one asks my name, but everyone knows who I am. But this ache for chaos sits in me, heavy as a stone, and I hate myself for it. I feel it making me want to lash out. I feel it making me want to cast everything around me into anarchy. I feel it make me want to paint myself as the villain again. I will resist. I will try. Good night, my dears. Hi friends, this is Kristen Zaza, but you probably knew that already. I'm the writer, host, producer, podcaster, composer, etc. for this show. Uh, Thank you so much for stopping by to listen to episode 61 of On a Dark Cold Night. I'd like to say a big thank you this week to listener Paulazir, I hope that I'm pronouncing that correctly, who left a five-star review for us titled, Gorgeous. It reads, This is a great podcast. The stories are hauntingly beautiful, but still provide you with the chill you are looking for. Thank you so much for the lovely words, Paulazir. And thank you for taking the time to leave them in a review. If you'd like to do the same, please do. It would be a huge help for the show. Head on over to us on iTunes, Stitcher, on our Facebook page, and leave some words for us. Uh, You'll very likely hear them on an upcoming episode. On that note, thank you to the lovely folks who've reached out via Twitter and Instagram this week. It really does brighten my day. You can follow me on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, or on Facebook or YouTube on my pages there called On A Dark Cold Night. If you're interested in helping the show out a different way, you can support us on Patreon, 
where for as little as $1 a month, you can gain access to the soundtrack of the show. You can find me there at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. If you want to support just once and have no interest in the soundtrack, you can donate on Coffee on my page ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. Either of those would be so very appreciated. Finally, we have t-shirts and sweaters for the show. Uh, you can find those at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. Anyway, thank you again for listening this week. Thanks for staying with me. Have a great night, my friends. <laughs>